What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome back to the Ed the Select podcast. If you heard part one, then please, please get ready for part two. Of course, again, we have joining us Dr. Alfonso Ferguson on Instagram. He is at Dr. Alfonso Ferguson. Where you at, friend? What's up, y'all? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) He's always ready. (laughs) Stay ready. Well, speaking of Saloon, and actually, she lied to y'all last time on the podcast. Her Instagram is actually at Saloon. So say hi to the people, girl. Hi, people. (laughs) All right. Now we have Candy Girl, Dr. Candace Crawford on Instagram. She's at Dulce underscore Renee. How you doing? How y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) Doing good. Two weeks of vacation just started this afternoon so i'm on I, i'm feeling real good come through twist and vacation i see right. <laughs> dr tice on instagram he is at dr tice how you doing bub i'm good this kid is ignorant ignorant that's his white side ignorant. he's supposed to say ignorant right he's ignorant. supposed to say ignorant, ignorant. His, his white side and came up already it's so ready <laughs> And last but not least, we have Triana on Instagram. She is at t dot phd mommy. Did I say that right, boo? Yes, a T as like a sip of tea. Oh, like I got yes. the tea. Yes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yes, yes. So, just a couple of comments that we got from our first episode, Doctor Alfonso. People love your laugh. <laughs> <laughs> they love your laugh. Dr. Tice, people said you sound like you about you was getting ready to preach a sermon. Mm-hmm. He was. <laughs> and Candace, the feedback I got for you and Saloon was that they thought oh, that Lord. after the podcast, y'all was gonna go in on Triana. They said Triana's <laughs> comment was amazing, oh, but they just knew. <laughs> oh, trust me, me and Triana had a conversation, oh. a whole ass conversation after. I was oh. like, oh, so Triana, is that what we do? Okay, I just want to make sure. Well, I, I was waiting to come for Triana today. Oh, oh, so somebody oh, is locked in. Okay, okay, y'all ready? Okay, she ready. ready. I'm ready. We're ready, she ready. For you, I'm ready. <laughs> all love, it's always all love. Though. That's right, it's of course, all of course. Love. So, actually, so that we don't run out of time, if we can just quickly go through and say what we're drinking before we get in on this conversation, that would be great. And we're going to just start right, right where we left off, okay? So, Saloon, since you picked up your drink first, what you drinking, boo? <laughs> I am drinking, I just threw a whole bunch of stuff in here. I'm drinking Disarona mixed with vodka, mixed with grenadine, mixed with orange juice. And a splash of Perrier. Okay, Perrier. You know. And drink out fancy real quick. I was trying to get fancy. (laughs) All right. Dr. Alfonso Ferguson said he came prepared today. What you got, boo? Y'all, I'm so ready. So I'm drinking uh, Jack Daniels honey with a splash Mm. of lemon. You see the lemon? Mm-hmm. We see. Mm-hmm. We see the lemon. I've never tried that before. That actually okay. sounds. Lemon. I have some Jack Honey right now. I'm about to go. Get it. Get it. Get it, girl. Well, before you go, Candy Girl, what you drinking? I'm drinking what's called a Bronx Bomber. It is Malibu rum, pineapple juice, and orange juice, and it is delicious. It sounds delicious. I love Malibu rum. Doctor mm-hmm. Tice, what you drinking? 
I am drinking a Brooklyn summer ale because you know I be drinking beer. You be drinking. You be drinking. <laughs> and Triana, what you drinking? Yeah. So I have an imaginary drink at the moment. What I wish I was drinking, but <laughs> I don't have one in my hand at the moment. But that uh, that peach that we had when you visited me. Mm-hmm. I know you said we can't say uh, brands, but what was that a brandy, a peach brandy? Yeah, it is brandy. Is it cognac? Is it cognac? It's not the same thing. <laughs> I think they're in the same family. They're, they're in the same family. They're cousins. They're cousins, girl. They're cousins. That's dark liquor. Yeah. They dark skin. Tice is not agreeing with us. Yes. <laughs> they're not the same thing, but it's okay. It's fine. It's the, it. But they're in the same. They're very, very They're dark liquor. They're, yeah, they're, they're all family. If that's what you're trying to say. That's like saying all black people from the same place, right? No, no. <laughs> not, no not doing let's that. just get started. I would never... I would it's, never say oh, that. Dr. Ferguson wants to jump right in. Out of here. They're by their family, like like all black people family, you know? Yeah. Right, we so. all family, though. But we're going to talk right. about that yeah. today. We're going to talk about the day. That's I'm right. keeping yeah. it simple and keeping it cute in my mug. Check you out this My mug. specially made who I am as I am in this moment oh. is enough. Can we order that? Ooh. You see, that? you see that smile? You see that? Yeah. Hey. Uh, real quick, I have um, some shade to throw at Dr. Candice. Dr. Candice, I love that she supported me. She went to my website, drebonywhite.com, and she purchased a t-shirt, and this was like two months ago. Ah! Oh! She, she got you right together. <laughs> <laughs> she got me right together. I said, oh, I was about to say she never wore it, didn't post no pictures. She sit up here wearing a t-shirt. I wear it all the time all the time so anybody who knows you like who's met you they're like oh is that ebony shirt i've had people like you know whatever, that's a whole different situation but they bought shirts after this right i wear it all the time i just haven't posted because i have to talk about myself and i don't know how i feel about it that's all oh, I'm, I'm gonna okay. get there i wear it thank all the time. you though for repping yes friend all right you got me together so i can't even throw you shade but i'm gonna take a sip oh. before we get there so where can i buy this mug because you yeah, know I'm, I'm, I'm on the website right now i don't see no mug right so yeah. i got it specially made so if y'all want mugs what is that i'm sorry that's my hood okay, okay i'm gonna mute you for a second that's alone yeah hood she did that on purpose because we blasting her from where she lives maple wood <laughs> right with the hood the maple hood <laughs> You can't be telling her location, though. No. no, bring me back. You're, you're back. You're no. back. Okay, I was saying, my place has, like, three different versions. You know, they have, like, the wood, the hood, and the good. Seriously, that's what the kids have it separated. Oh, okay. So, so we're talking about segregation, then? That's what oh, we're yeah. talking about? Oh, okay. Well, well, I'm just saying. Segregation in their minds and stuff, but whatever. So we're not going to go there today, Ebony. Are you in the wood, the good, or the hood? I'm in the wood. Okay, that's good. I'm not. I'm not in the good, and I'm not in the hood. I'm in the wood. I'm in between. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, 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 hey! Not true. Not true. I, I saw that. I saw that. Just All so right. Audience, so, just so our audience should know, they're right. Saloon. Saloon. You gonna let me host chat. my podcast? You gonna You gonna, you oh, gonna let sorry. me talk? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just started drinking, y'all. I had to, you know, trim the last podcast because Saloon was acting out, was acting all the way out. But anyway, let's get into it. And actually, Dr. Alfonso, I'm going to start where, where you, you know, where you started. 
when you said uh, all black people look alike. Oh, what was that? So you have we? That? No, when we was like all oh, the bourbon and the cognac and the brandy and whiskey, it's all the same oh, thing. Okay. And Dr. Ferguson tried to bring it, you know, back to the conversation. So I'm wondering, has anybody ever gotten mistaken for another person, another black person? Yes. <laughs> Are you Why would, oh, I keep forgetting that this is for a podcast. I forgot that we're just not talking amongst ourselves. Yeah, I was going to say, we have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Can I start? Yes, please start. And I know, I mean, you know, this, um, this particular example. Uh, so <laughs> 2017. Um, you know, we were doing a conference in uh, Chicago and we were presenting and it was Ebony, myself and two other colleagues and one colleague, a white woman says, okay, now we're going to have Tice finish <laughs> off the presentation. <laughs> right. What? Now, not even close. Not yes. even kind of close. <laughs> We look like two and Tice different. wasn't even there. Tice, it and wasn't Tice even was like not there. No, I, was, I was not even in the state. Like that's how deep it was. Wasn't even in the state. Wait, look at Triana's face. <laughs> I can't believe it. Wait, so wait. Dr. Ferguson is leaving something out. So in the in the middle of her presentation, she was like, you know, but Tice will talk about that later. And <laughs> we were all looking around the room like, what's Tice in this presentation? And then when she passed it on, she was like, so now we'll hear Tice. Oh, my God. And for my listeners who maybe haven't gone to a YouTube channel and didn't see the pictures on Facebook and everything, Alfonso is like Idris Elba complexion. And Tice is like Boris Kojo complexion. That's a good comparison. So they are yeah. they, they look starkly yeah. different. We twins. <laughs> right, but y'all Apparently. but they twins. So I wonder, Alfonso, what is it what was it like for you to be, I wanna say I wanna say macrogressed that so, um publicly in that space. Right. Well, and how would funny, you handle that? What was funny was I heard it, but I tried to ignore it. And then you, Dr. White, was like, You mean Alfonso? <laughs> Ty's not here. What you talking about? <laughs> and, and that moment, my train came out real quick. In that moment, I'm like, I'm personally trying to keep my composure because I don't want her to feel bad because this particular individual gets really flustered really quickly. And so I'm, I, I noticed in that as I reflect now, I was trying to protect her, even though she was being oppressive towards me. Um, and I'm having a moment mm. where it's, it's like so ingrained in us to make people of other ethnicities feel better about, yeah. like, you know, they're managing their white guilt. So it's like, it's not fair in a sense for us to help them carry that guilt when, when they're being oppressive yeah. towards us. That a lot because, mm. yeah, wow. um, I spent that a lot as a grad student because I was a black Latina it was this thing of almost like being separated, like, oh, well, you're not the, like the other black. So I can kind of sort of tell you what I think, or I can slip up or I can, you know, say whatever. And you're not going to be the angry black woman. But many times I was raging inside. Um, and I was the only one, the only one in the department, one of very few on the entire campus. So yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. Absolutely. And we're, um, 
just going back to Alfonso's experience, and I'm going to tie in Triana's too in a little bit. Um, I remember, and I think I told y'all this story, my uh, sophomore year at Michigan State University. You know, it's a big school, so a lot of the classes are like 300 students. It's a lot of people. But I was in this class, and there was only one other Black girl in this class, right, which is crazy, but only one other Black girl. And because I am who I am, and, you know, we carry the weight of Black oppression, or really white oppression, really, that's what that is, um, on us, I always felt the need to sit in front of my classes, to, you know, be engaged, ask questions, all that kind of stuff. But this one day, I was late to class, so I had to sit in the back. And so my teacher was my abnormal psychology class, and so the instructor was teaching, and she asked a question. And the other Black girl in class raised her hand, in front of 350 students, the teacher said, yes, Ebony. And it was like, uh, and the girl, she was like, I'm, I'm not Ebony. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ebony is right in front of you. <laughs> it's it's, so, it's so, so shocking, but it's not surprising, right? Like this shit happens, I feel like countless times, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even, I can't even recall a time when it happened because it happens so frequently. You know what I mean? If I am with another black female, I am going to be mistaken by her, you know? Which is crazy. So I, I think it goes back to the point of how black people are both hyper visible and invisible at the same time. At the same Ooh, at the same time. But going back to the responses to Triana, to Triana's point in a presentation that Saloon did years ago. Um one of the things I want to talk about today is this whole de-blackifying thing that happens to us. And I know we've all experienced it. And so Triana brought up, because she uh, is a Blackino, um, she often wasn't seen as a solidly Black person. So people would say, what, you don't like my word? My Black, Latino I, I, word? Like, I nobody's like black, gonna comment I like, on that? That's just I like black. No, no, I loved it. I was a Blackina, right? That's like, <laughs> yes. that's that's a coalition, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what her son is. But anyway, so because Triana is a Blatina, um, people felt like they could say slick stuff to her and it'd be okay because they didn't see her as, I don't know if it's just Black or, as we were saying last time, one of those Blacks, right? And I know that I've certainly experienced that whole, and I think it's tied to that exceptionalism thing, that people people not seeing me as one of those Blacks, so they feel like they could say things to me that they wouldn't say around other people. So I wanna know, my question to you all is, how do you make sense of that experience? How do you respond when that's happening? Like all of that. I want to say something because I think this is interesting and it's actually going to go back to the first time that me and Ebony met, you know, so Triana talked about her experience and me being light skinned in for like it really informs my experience where I'm often viewed as less threatening and something that I've done intentionally and this goes back to when I first met Ebony is I have learned over time I want to when I walk into a space. I need, I want to communicate who I am and what I'm about. So the example I have here is that, you know, so I knew Candace before we all went to the doctoral program. So she knew me, but I remember the day I met Ebony, pretty much the first words I said to her were like, what up sister? That was it. And that was me communicating to Ebony. And Ebony's reaction was, oh, oh shit. Okay. And now we, but that moment I had to communicate. I didn't want to be confused. I didn't want anyone to confuse who I am or what I'm about or where I stand. So I find ways to communicate that 
from jump, like immediately. And the, and the sad part of this is that it's work, you know, like it's extra work that I have to do that I have to carry around to try to push away or protect from as strong with someone that slick shit that people will say because they don't know where I stand. Um, I try to like, it's, it's a buffer in some ways. And I just, I, I don't have time for it. Like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. So yeah, I, I hope that, I think that answers the question. That was great. I, I kind of want to add something briefly. I don't want to take up too much space, y'all. Take up um, space, Ryan, take up space. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he needed. <laughs> no, but it made me think of like the first time I encountered Ebony, right? And it was so starkly different because I was like here to work and I'm like, I'm this black man. And I think I may have even met with her before I actually started, like went into a classroom. So she was one of the first people I encountered. So my expectations of being a pla black person showing up in academia, I needed to be on point. So she's trying to have casual conversations and I'm like, sis, we gonna code or nah? Like, I'm not here to play, I'm here to work. Rigid AF, I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. He was like, so is it biology is best or not? Like, I was just like, okay. I think, I think I remember you telling me about that experience with Alfonso and I was like, word, he's like that. Uh, Absolutely, I was like, there's this new black guy in the program. Uh. He ain't black, black. <laughs> right, he black, but he not black, black. He not black, black. <laughs> Absolutely. Have y'all ever been hit with the, when I look at you, I don't see color or I don't see that you're black or something to that effect? All the time. All the time? All the time. And I think people think that it's a safe thing to say, right? Um, and it's unfortunate because you, I, I think, I can't remember everything we said in the last podcast, but I feel like it's something we did address where people are like, they're just so afraid to kind of like even mention race, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, but I, I, I like you. I don't see you. I don't see color. No, you're going to see this blackness. You're going to see what it means to be black. You're going to understand the plight of black folks and then give me the respect that I fucking deserve. Do you know what I mean? So like, that's why I, I, I hate that. I, I hate that. Um, and I talked about it even in my dissertation defense, this idea of, you know, these, this, this ideology that we have to kind of ignore each other's races. Absolutely. Yeah. Trina, what, How is that for referencing um, articles and shit? Yeah. <laughs> we, well, we, came from know, we can reference Sue at all 2007. <laughs> Racial microaggressions. Hello. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. So Triana, I'm wondering how was that for you when those people at your school would say those comments to you and you were raging on the inside? What was that experience like and what was your behavior? What was your response to it? um well you know my face it's hard for me to hide my face and so I guess they probably saw my face but they dismissed it anyways the one time I did speak up was during um like a group class and we were talking about our experience here you know as grad students or something like that and I, and I think it was just one man in the classroom and the topic of the conversation was like oh how does it feel like being the only man you know in the program or in our classroom blah 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 talk talk okay cool then um, they wanted to move on to another topic. And I was like, well, I'm like the only black person, actually the only person of color out of our group out of the classroom. And so that's new to me. That's a new experience. And they all were like, oh, really? Oh, we didn't even, 
we don't we don't even really like we didn't even see color we didn't even know that that was a thing for you oh wow and I was like yeah it's very much strange for me um to be the only person of color here and um it's new and they're like oh yeah just you know, I just, uh, I, I, they might have even said I don't see color. Maybe, maybe not. But it was just like, I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. So anyways, about being the only guy in the class, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, okay. I just, never mind. Sorry, I spoke up. Like, yeah, so that was my experience. There was, it was, they were too uncomfortable that even when I did speak up and I thought I spoke up gently or to be open and bring that discussion up front so we can talk about it, shut it all the way down very quickly. Because the fear of like, well, I'm not racist. I don't see color. I'm not racist. So let's not talk about this. Let's move on to something else. Right. So let me be racist as a MFR <laughs> uh-huh. and shut you all the way down. And it's so interesting. Yeah. The presentation saloon I was talking about you did before was, I think it was called I'm Not Babysitting Your Racism or something like that. You you would have to uh, remind me of the title. But um, like just thinking about the things we do to Alfonso's point to take care of whiteness um, when they are the ones that are offending us or the things that we have to do, the processes that we have to go through when we're being microaggressed, macroaggressed, just to be in that space. Um, mm-hmm. And what that, what that meant for me during those times. And now in 2020 with Black Lives Matter, this movement really um, gaining more and more traction and being very poignant at this time i find myself in that space of not wanting to babysit racism and i find myself showing up uh, more fully as myself even in spaces where before i might have muted some things about my personality because i needed them to hear me and hear past of their perceptions of what they of what they see yeah no i mean it's I was thinking back to that presentation that was done like so many years ago, right? And we're mm-hmm. still talking about it today. But it's it's where you just kind of kind of like well, Alfonso talked about that. You just ignore all of yourself, all of the things like you're dying and raging inside, but you've been so ingrained to take care of this person that you forget about everything that's happening to you and you're trying to make them feel better. Whether is you know, I mean, I get microaggressed with my name all the time with. I'll say my name and then somebody will say, no, it's not this, it's this. And I'm, you know, I'll say Saloon and they'll be like, you mean Salome? No, not Salome. Uh, I said Saloon, you know, and then going back and forth, all of these things. So, but, but not wanting to rage at them and because you want to take care of them or they'll say something and then start crying, right? Which Ebony we've experienced. And then of course the, the caretaker in me wants to go and take care of that person oh it's okay don't worry about it when really you should be saying well actually yeah you know maybe you should think about what you said and not do it next time so we've been so conditioned to take care of whiteness right to be a protective of them and and this idea of white fragility and we can't let them you know suffer or we can't let them feel uncomfortable and so it's okay for us to be uncomfortable um, there's just so much to say to that. So I'm like you, Ebony. I've gotten to the place right now where I don't, I'm not going to babysit that. It's like, if you say that and I find it makes me feel uncomfortable, I will say that to you. And then we can work it out. You know, I'm also relational. So I'm okay with us having these conversations and, and sorting it out and finding connections if we can or not, but, but it'll be out there and we'll talk about it. 
Can we talk about right quick? I just got, I just had a memory, um, maybe triggered, but I think about how manipulation can, can play a role in this white fragility. Um, and I'm thinking about that example where our colleague kind of called me Tice and afterwards- Not kind of, she said, told you you was a whole me, different person. Called me Tice yes. twice. Yes, she meant and, it. And after she came and she was like, I'm so sorry for microaggressing you. It's just a lot going on. And this is happening at home. That's happening at home. And I'm like, sis, just take responsibility and sit in that. Don't give me all the reasons why you did it because you did it twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's so interesting. It's like they want to, I don't know who told them that their standard is perfection. Um, but I, I go back to what Candace said. I think they're so afraid to be called a racist, even though it just is what it is. You're white, you're racist. Like, deal with it. Do your self-reflection, your introspection process, and do the work and move on. But it was like she couldn't just take that she wronged you. She had to say, basically, on a, on a good day, I would have never done that. It's just that I'm dealing with all these issues. Even though she brought it to me. Yeah. And, I, and can I say, can I say this? And I'm so sorry, Tyson. I know you were going to speak, but no, just go ahead, Candy. Of your point, Alfonso, it was that she tried to make it equal to what you were experiencing. What I'm going through has to be equal. So she wanted, she was trying to seek out that empathy from you, right? Because I'm so sorry, but I'm also going through, right? But not recognizing how embedded racism is in our society, mm-hmm. right? That whatever you're dealing with, and I'm sorry that you're dealing with it, but that shit can pass. This is something we have to deal with on a daily basis. But anyway, sorry. And not only that, your issue, I didn't cause that. But this issue we're having, you caused. So whatever <laughs> you're going through, that wasn't my fault. But this incident, you did that. Go ahead, Dr. Tice. And, and you know, I think we're, we're talking so much about white folk being so scared of being racist. And so much of this, I, I mean, I, I think is tied to cognitive dissonance because people think that, the moment that you're attached to that word racist, you are suddenly the worst person in the world, you're terrible, you beat your children, you poison the water. Like, you can, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's okay. You can be racist and still be a good parent. You can be racist and do all those things. You just gotta work on that racism portion. Like, that's the part that you gotta fix. Yeah, you're still good at your job and all that other shit, but Fix that racism thing so you can be better at all of these things. And and going back to, you know, Evan, you were talking about this whole, like we were talking about this idea of like catering to white folk at times. And I'm thinking back to my, I want to say all of my academic experiences, including where I'm at right now as a professor. You know, I think so much of it is this underlying understanding of how power works. I remember in my doctoral program and in my master's program too, I was terrified that if I said something a little too black, that I would get in trouble because some person would get their feelings hurt and they would point their finger at me and I would be out the program. And I learned that somewhere, even though I didn't explicitly learn that like happening to me, maybe I did, I don't remember it, but I learned that through history, through life, through peers, through people. Like I learned that I could get in trouble for things even if I'm right. I learned that. I can mm-hmm. get for things, even if I'm right. And I'm dealing with that right now at my institution where I, I know Candace sees me. You know, you talk about that exhaustion, Black Lives Matter. Like, Candace sees me actively giving less fucks and saying more every day. But 
like there's a burden attached to that. Like I'm terrified every time I speak up that eventually they gonna be like, get his black ass out of here. Get, he gets his light skinned black ass out of here. We we gonna put him on our cover of our catalog, but we gonna take him off the cover of the catalog now. He he doing a little too much. Like, but that speaks to this underlying notion of power that's embedded in us. That even though it hasn't, or at least I don't know what's happened to me directly. I know it can. I know I'm susceptible. That if someone points their finger at me, I will likely be the one who loses, despite all the letters after my name. I will still be the one who probably loses. Absolutely. And Candy, I know you wanted to say something, but what's interesting is all these places you talked about being on the brochure, all these places and all these organizations, they want visible diversity, but they don't want diversity of thought. They don't want, you know, diverse uh, contribution, diverse, they, they, they just want to say we have these people here, but they don't really want to do anything with it. They don't, they don't really want us to show up fully because then they draw a line for us about what's too much, what's enough, what's too little, right? Oh, we have, you know, Dr. Tice here. Oh, we have the perfect position for you. Can you head up our diversity board? Right? They put they they put you <laughs> where um they where they want you. But go ahead, Dr. Crawford. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Dr. Crawford. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't even remember what I was gonna say. So go ahead. You you I do remember you were talking about how can you be a good parent and be racist? Yeah, it was just a, going to be a rhetorical question because like Tice, you had just said like, you know, you can be a good parent, but you got to work in that racism shit. But I mm -hmm. feel like if you're racist, then are you truly being a good parent? Because what are you teaching your children? But that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I'm so happy to say like, like, you're definitely not the best parent, but you're, you're doing probably good enough. Like I'm, I, I'll, I'm okay with, I'm okay with saying that you definitely not doing what you should be doing. You're definitely not doing the best. You're definitely probably teaching some shitty stuff, but you're keeping your kids alive. You're keeping them well. You're, you're, bringing, you're, you're keeping them fed. That's what I'm, when I think about good parent, I'm talking about the bare, like, like B's got degrees, good parent. That's what I mean. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Fonzie. So what I was wrestling with was um, this notion around, I had put in the chat, uh, Tice is like the diversity poster child. And, you know, he's like on several universities page and like, you know, they're showing that they have diversity with three universities. I'm sorry, Dr. Nadrich, three. It's um, three, not several. It's more than a couple. <laughs> right? Thank you so much, future Dr. Triana. Yes. But, um, but you know, it, it made me think of this notion around um, white supremacy and the, the, the closer you are to this ideal white person, the more palatable you are. Because I know a, a lot of these universities you're at, you, some you may have been the first, but some I definitely know you weren't the first, right? Um, but you were the first to make it as a person of color onto the website. And I think of like, the closer you are to whiteness, the more palatable or more receptive you are. So you may not turn people away. So they may not put me on the website because I'm a lot darker. And or because my hair may look a certain way, so there could there are gonna be immediate assumptions about who I am based on how I look. But because you're lighter and your hair is less kinky and things like that, they're like assumptions that people can make. And you're racially ambiguous, right? So you could be any of anything, yeah. but you check the diversity check uh box. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. Like I think it's both. You're right. Like I'm I'm guaranteed less threatening, like without a doubt. 
I'm guaranteed more palatable. But Salim, Saloon put it in the, I'm sorry, Salume, is that how you pronounce it, Saloon? Or Saloon? I was about to say, damn, you fucked up her name after she just talked about this. Saloon, Saloon. <laughs> so, but Saloon wrote it in the chat that checking the boxes, right? Like when, especially when my hair was out before the locks and my hair was curly, like I'm, I can pass for Middle Eastern. I can pass for uh, Latinx. I can pass for, I can literally pass, like folks can look at me and if they are diverse, they can see me. They can see themselves in me. And I get very annoyed when people don't own up to that shit. You know, like at least, like if you're gonna use my face, all right, fine, whatever. Like I'm not happy about it. At least be, like don't pretend like you're not, like you're not using it because you know why you're using it. But uh, I mean, the reality is it's based in racism. So they're not going to be like, yeah, I'm a racist. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> you like the picture or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is why I actually love that Tice has locks. I fucking love it. Like, he's just like, no, I'm just, this is who I am. And I'm going to wear locks. And, you know, I'm going to be who I am. And like, he literally, and I, I, I really love working with Tice because when there are issues of, diversity or lack thereof, I appreciate how Tice definitely uses his voice, you know, as a black male, you know, in these spaces, because he's like, listen, I'm, I am who I am. And I'm going to wear these locks and I'm going to do this and I'm going to say this, you know, so I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And can we, um, we can continue with this conversation, but I also want to throw something else in there that I feel like we talked about very gently, but we didn't really dive into, but colorism. Um, and I think, Yes, we, we ready for it. We ready for it. I think it's important that we address. Oh, Salum, I can't hear you. Let me un. She must have muted herself. Salum, are you there? I'm there. Awesome. So I want to talk about colorism because I think that we need to talk about how, you know, to Tice's point, how white people use that color privilege, but then also that how colorism impacts, uh, impacts us even in our own um, communities. And I'm, I'm specifically interested in not only the Black American perspective, because we could talk about that for, you know, ever and ever, right, Candy Girl? Um, but I, I'm really interested in how that shows up in the Latinx community, how that shows up in the Caribbean community, how that shows up in the African um, community, and, and, what that, and what that means. So whoever wants to start can go. No oh, dead space. Wow. It's a podcast. Okay, 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 okay. I'll go. Um, yeah, I mean, it shows up. It it shows up big time. It, you know, Ebony, you know my family makeup, and you know how we we are color wise. Um, and it shows up in my family. My sister is a lot fairer than I am, fair skin, I should say. And so, a lot of the the attention about her looks and all of those things focused on that. Oh, she's so pretty. She's light skinned, and all of those things. Um, and last week I talked about, you know, the whole idea of being black and what that means, right? So in a country where everybody's black, race doesn't become a focus, but certainly skin color becomes a focus, right? So this whole idea of the light skin person is, is giving all these privileges. And I remember growing up where we didn't really talk about race, but we, but the, the light skin girls were the girls that got all the attention, but the girls that were treated special and and all of those things. So on one hand, you didn't really have to deal with the race, but you certainly had to deal with the whole colorism thing. And I, I think that that's something that I really forgot about and then started 
when it when it came back again, um, you know, because my sister and I have this huge age difference between us. So then when she was born and then when she was growing up, because we don't have the same fathers, so she's um, she takes after her dad. So of course that attention then, oh my God, look how light skinned she is. And then of course, you know, I'm I'm married to a white man, right? And I have biracial children or biracial child and all of that stuff. And I, I, I that has to be like a, a whole learning or teaching for me in in reminding him every day that you're a black man. Your skin may be lighter and all of those things, but you're a black man. When you leave this house and you go outside into the world, you're a black man, and I need you to understand all of the consequences that has. Um, but he's still, you know, within circles is treated, of course, certainly different and is privileged because of that skin color. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot I can say to that, but I'll let I'll let you guys go. Yeah, and also, and I know Dr. Tice, I'm, I'm going to show up, but I, y'all know I was able to go to Nigeria last year. And when I tell you my heart broke when I went to the store and there was all these lightning creams um, oh, yeah. in, in the spaces. And I was just like, in, in the place as beautiful as Nigeria, where the people, when I tell you, I mean, beautiful people, colorful, I mean, that they're spending money, that this product exists, exists there. It just was so disheartening to me that the impact of racism or colonialism or whatever it is that that was um, showing up. So, but I know I interrupted you, Tice. No, I mean, I was, I'm going to say something really quick about what Saloon was saying, because I mentioned this in my dissertation at some point. My mother, what my mom always told me. So again, I'm biracial, but I'm raised by my Black mother. And my mother, in my head, I never forgot it. She always said to me, if you're not white, you're Black. No, it didn't matter beyond that. If you are not white, you are black. And I think, you know, again, while my mom wasn't talking about the academic side of this, since Alfonso want to cite shit, um, you know, what we're talking about, <laughs> you know, and if we think about it historically, hypodescent refers to this idea that you're always going to be pushed to the identity that you hold with the least amount of privilege. So when you're talking about your biracial child. Woo, you better wait, you you preaching. That's what they was talking about. We, <laughs> wind it back, you gotta slow, like say it again for the people in the back, like, come on. Mm-hmm. So the term, it, it's it, what we're talking about is hypo descent. And I'll even talk about how this manifested legally, but we're talking about this idea that you're always, as a person, you're always gonna be pushed to the identity that you hold with the least amount of privilege. That's the one that's going to get salience, priority, emphasis, all of that. And while when I say hypodescent, I'm talking about race, we could also talk about how this overlaps in other identities as well, that that least privileged identity is the one that's gonna be stuck to you. And if we think about this, you know, we're talking about biracial children, right? So I'm never coded as white. I may be coded as other things, but I'm never coded as white because I'm never gonna get that side of the privilege. I'm always gonna be on this side of the privilege, the person of color side of the privilege. And when we think about it, even in our context as society, think about the laws that we had. We had we had the one drop rule on the books in this country that if you could, if they could find, didn't matter what you look like, if they can point to one drop of black blood in you, you were black. Even if you were Talcum X white, you know what I'm saying? Like if you were that white, you were still black. 
and that so I, when we're talking about this I'm, I'm i'm thinking about my mother said but that's a real thing and it doesn't mean that colorism isn't real it's definitely colorism we're talking about how you do get privilege as you get closer to that whiteness but you're not going to get over that fence like you'll never get over that fence because you're always going to get pushed because of hypo descent unless you can pass i i would even say so here's my thing i think if you can pass it's conditional because the if you are outed then you once they label you whether how you look or not if you are labeled as such you no longer pass so that that passing is conditional it's it's given to you you've gotten a pass you gotten a pass to pass but they can revoke that shit. and that's when i think about when we talk about like all of our degrees like yeah that gives us some privilege but that shit can be revoked like our degrees don't mean anything it can't not the degree itself but the privilege that comes from it can be taken away if a different identity is focused on I get, I get what your viewers were saying for sure. Tyson's out here dropping knowledge. What? Trisha, you about to say something? No, I was saying going to say the same thing as Ken is like Tyson over here teaching um, cultural diversity one on one for the people. <laughs> no, but I'm glad if, if if you can add here. I was recently at Triana's house and she has this picture up of her and her husband. And I said to her, of course in jest, but I said if I met you like that, me and you wouldn't have been friends. And that led <laughs> and that led to a conversation about how she was treated by people of color, by black people based off of how she looked. And what that meant so can you talk about yeah. that a little bit yeah because yeah know. so well one so being um dominican my um many sides of my family um were different shades and in our in being dominican being latinx like it's very ethnic focused so when people are described or distinguished by their color it's literal terms for color that we have. So trigueña, morena, negra, jabao, like those are terms of like a, a spectrum, a gradient of color. Um, and so one thing that I noticed was that like with, with my family, um, I was very much like praised, like, oh, you're pretty, you're beautiful, your skin is beautiful, and the third. Uh, but as I got older, I, I realized though that there was this thing of like, that I made it out, I guess, like light enough, um, because uh, my dad is very, very dark skinned, um, and my mom is light. And I'm wondering how my experience would have been, or how my family would have treated me if I came out darker complexion. Um, then, as I like went to like college and things like that, I always and I had jobs and all that. It was always this thing of having my complexion right. So depending who you ask, like. I'm brown skin, I'm light skin. Um, but the the brown skin girl, the pretty girl, the thin girl, oh, she thinks she's too cute, or she thinks and so I always and I was always just a really shy, quiet nerd <laughs> who eventually learned how to dress and show off her curves. Um, but I had some not so great experiences, I think, with other women, other black women, um, having those assumptions of me. Um I was challenged at one time. I, I remember I was presenting with two colleagues white colleagues at, uh, I think it was school counseling conference or something like that, or paper we did for a class. And this, um, she was African, I'm just not sure what country she was from, um, 
woman was coming at my neck. Like, well, your, the other two presenters talked about something ne- uh, positive. You got all you said was negative. You got anything positive to say? And I was like, uh, did you not? Do you want me to go, go back a couple slides because I did talk about resiliency factors of X, Y, and Z. Um, I don't. I'm not sure what. No, I'm just saying like you just everything is just negative. Come, and I was like, wait a minute, now. she's just coming for me. Like, there's nothing that is valid in her argument. There's something about me that she does not like cool whatever um but yeah so it was always uh, assumptions there from other people and then for for women it was that right oh she thinks she's too cute she conceded for men it was i was an object i was exotic i was fetishized harassed um because of i mean we could talk about uh, hip-hop music hollywood all that stuff Triana, I'm gonna interrupt you because you're you're going in and out. I'm yeah. gonna interrupt you because you're going in and out. Um, and so when you get clearer, uh, I'm gonna bring you back into the conversation. But I just want to add to that. Like when I was okay. growing up, cool, and I don't know if Candy had this experience too. Um, the popular girls were the light skinned girls or the girls who had longer hair. Um, if they wanted to insult you, they would say, "Go go sit down somewhere with your black ass." Or they would like they would. Um, insult you based off of the darkness of your skin and also the dark-skinned girls were seen as more masculine like tough or or um were, they'll beat you up right like they'll beat you up exactly stuff like that whereas the light-skinned girls were seen as precious or fragile dainty, dainty um and things of that nature and i remember that and this is it's so interesting, and this is just me being real and being who I am, and y'all can correct me and come for me all you want to, but I remember being um, classmates or peers with some light-skinned people who, like, for real, for real, and not, and I don't know beauty is subjective, but, like, in my opinion, I did not think that they were attractive, but because they were light-skinned, they were seen as attractive, whereas I've also been, and I, and I also know some attractive light-skinned girls, but I know some, like, beautiful dark-skinned chocolate sisters who people wouldn't look twice at. And I'm like, and I was, I remember just being so confused by that. I remember I went to college with this um, girl and she wouldn't mind me talking about this. Her name is Naima and she is chocolate. But when I tell you this girl is beautiful and she um, has kind of this, um, this really gentle or slight arch in her back. And she said it comes from her like just doing like this and because, you know, for, because of her confidence and um, self-esteem because of how, she would be with her cousins um, who were lighter than her, and they would always be like, oh, she's so pretty, right? Um, and she would be standing right there, and nobody would say anything to her. And I'm thinking about just the damage that we do in our own communities. Even if, I don't know if y'all heard this, I, I, I remember hearing parents telling their kids, don't be outside too long, you're going to get dark. You're going to get too, like, what is, you know, that about? And I think it's important that we address that within our own community. You know, immediately I've what I thought worked of. Worked with, um, oh, sorry. Oh. No, I'll just, I'll be quick. Immediately what I thought of with the sit down with your black ass is like how parents do that as well. And how it's, it's not only happening in schools, it's so ingrained in our community to um, equate the darker you are, the, the less desirable you are. Go ahead, Tree. Um, yeah, I was, what I was, I was, sorry, I went through a dead zone. What I was saying before is like, it was, um, 
preconceived notions that I, assumptions that women have made of me, like being light-skinned, brown-skinned, whatever girl. But with men, it was like, now I was fetishized. I was an object. I was looked at as a sexual object. But in terms of what you're saying now, I've worked with a lot of like teenagers, young children, um, uh, uh, college freshmen. And I've heard that, that, um, oh, let me get out the sun. Like, oh, what a shade. That. Like, I didn't be, and I'd be like, why? why what's wrong what's wrong well i just i'm not trying to i'm not trying to get darker i'm like what's what's wrong with getting darker do you know how many of them didn't have an explanation so it was an internalized messaging like a record that they would hear over and over again from family from parents and they'd be like um no like i'm just not i'm like because what does that mean because when i get darker my skin is glowing and i pretend like i just came from a summer vacation in the caribbean or something <laughs> i love getting the pants so what does it mean for you to get darker and they really would pause and they had to think about like, well, what, why do I say that? I'm but there's a certain kind of privilege. Um, I'm sorry, can y'all hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. You and Candace are talking at the same time. So do you want Saloon to go oh, and then okay. you, Candace? Yeah, okay, go ahead, Saloon. Yeah, no, I was saying, to, I was responding to Triana, but I think there's a certain kind of privilege there, this, this being able to to appreciate being dark, right? And saying, oh, I wanna get dark. Um, and I'm wondering though, if you were starting off dark, if that would be something that you appreciate. And I say that because um, recently, you know, my, my son, I don't know if he's gonna be happy about me talking about this, but whatever. We, uh, we went on vacation and all he wanted to do was, you know, stay in the sun and he keeps talking about how he wants to get dark and, you know, and of course I'm excited and encouraging him. I'm like, yeah, maybe you can get dark like me and all of that stuff. But I'm thinking though, what then, if he were to start from being dark, if that's something that he will want to get darker and what is the message, you know, where will he get those messages from? So on one hand, I think there's a kind of privilege or being able to ride both sides, right? That you can get dark, um, but at the same time, that darkness can wear off, right? The, the, the shade or the sun or whatever, the tanning can wear off, and then you can go back to being brown. Um, and I don't know, these are just thoughts that are coming in my head as you were speaking, Triana, but I was thinking about that and, and, and yeah, that's it. Go ahead, Dr. Candy. Um, I'm, this, the, the thing that's coming up, I'm agreeing with all of you all, but the thing that's coming up is like, you know, we've been talking about the show, I May Destroy You, with Michaela Coel. Mm. Um, you know, I think that there's so many layers to that show, but one of them being, well, not necessarily um, specific in that show, but the idea that I heard another black woman just recently say, oh, that show, the one with the ugly actress, and I was like taken aback. I was really taken aback. Um, and so, and, and I was thinking like, I just think she's so gorgeous. And then someone made a post that was highlighting all of her features and how everyone tries to get her features, right? Between her, her cheekbones and, you know, everything that she, you know, has. There are lots of white people who were trying to, white people, other people who are trying to get her features. And it's so sad that you know we have been conditioned to believe that someone who looks the way that she looks is ugly do you know what i mean and it, and, and as we've seen it's white supremacy you know dr alfonso mentions white supremacy at its core and it's all over the fucking world it's global at shit. its core you know like how and how do we stop that like my god it's so know? interesting to me that it's sad 
Um, but it's so interesting because watching that show, I May Destroy You, when she was wearing the color wigs, I was like, why is she wearing you know these wigs? When she cut all off her hair and you could see all her features, it reminded me of that moment in the movie Queen and Slim where the girls cut her braids off. And she just, I mean, I said, walk through sister. Like, it's something so beautiful about the pronounced forehead and the full lips and the wide nose and the high cheeks and, and the fact that we have been taught and conditioned to believe that that's ugliness. But at the same time, it's the exact thing that white people and other people who don't have it are running out to get. It means that it's only ugly. It means that you have a problem with blackness, right? It's only ugly because it's on a black person. And that speaks to your own um, racism, but go ahead. They're just so afraid of us. We're just so fucking powerful. They are so fucking afraid of us. You know, they try to discredit and diminish us so fucking much is that, that, you know, that's the only thing that they can do. Oh, you ugly. You not, you this, you that, you whatever. And we've internalized that and we've really carried out same we because we've all been conditioned to a degree you know we are carrying out this message of you know these white supremacists yeah absolutely yeah yeah i have to say every time i look at oh we can hear you go ahead every time you look at oh you can hear me okay <laughs> i keep feeling like i'm being muted but no every time i look at michaela cole i'm like just like she looks like a fucking sculpture like She's just, everything, her face is amazing. Like, so her cheekbones are so chiseled and she's got these, like, lips on. Just like, you know, I, 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 I but what you said, Ebony, when she took the wig off, I was just like, wow. <laughs> I was feeling the same way, like, oh, my gosh, she's so gorgeous, that face. So, when she yeah. gave that monologue, sitting in that chair with, like, that boy, that was everything yes. to me. So that's yes. a plug for the show. Watch the show. So we're yeah. going to start to wind down. So I have six topics that I want to address, and I'm going to throw um, throw the topic at each at one person, and then if somebody wants to add to it, you can. But this is the 60 second rapid fire. Okay, y'all got it. So I'm actually going to start with Candice because I said I was going to bring this up, and if anybody want to chime in after her, it's great. So. I'm not sure if I can go 60 seconds, but we'll try. All right. Kanye West. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts and opinions, please. Okay. My thoughts and opinions, really quickly, rapid fire. Kanye West has always been my favorite rapper. I think that's the person that I can relate to the most in my development. It actually helped with like some of the relationships that I've had, even with my own brother and things of that nature. So I really appreciate music. I also appreciate his um, ability to not be so conforming. I do miss, I, just like everybody has always said, I do miss the old Kanye, right? Um, I do believe that there are certain things that he says that can be misconstrued. And also I believe that there are things that are so damaging um, that he says. And so what happens is the things that he says that could be positive and probably received differently is mixed in with the things that, that can also be damaging. And so people take that and they run with it. Um, I don't believe that he's in a good mental space. And I believe that, you know, there's a lot of judgment and things that are happening. I know that one thing that Dr. Ebb said to me when we were talking, she was saying, if it was another person, they would be, you know, scrutinized even more. And I feel, I think she thinks that I'm giving him a lot more grace. And I probably am considering my, my, how, how deep my love for him runs, but I will not sit here and um, disregard some of the things that he said as though they were all truthful. So that's my thought. 
Yeah, I feel like because of who he is and his celebrity and him being a hip hop celebrity and him being a black man that he has gotten away. And I'm, I hope y'all can't hear this man mowing my lawn, but that he has gotten away with things that namely black women would never have gotten away with. Right. So first of all, he married into this family. Right. After writing a song about and when he get on. Right. OK. OK. Not only that, he went and he talked about how racism was a, uh, slavery was a choice. Right. And that died down. Then he went on to say, Harriet Tubman ain't free nobody, right? And I just feel like, yeah, not that things get blamed on mental illness because I don't want to create too much controversy. But what I will say is that he, I feel like people just give him more grace than they would anybody else. Or if, you know, if Meg the Stallion says something like that, or if, <laughs> you know, anybody else, regardless of the issues that they were contending with or having, that they would respond to him very differently than people are responding to Kanye. That it would be okay, it would be cancel culture. We're not buying his shoes, we're not listening to, you know, all that kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, and I believe, it, I believe it's definitely separated. I believe that it's there, and I believe that a lot of people have canceled Kanye, and, you know, rightfully so. Um, but if anybody ever wants to have this discussion, and we, we, I'm happy to continue to carry this on outside of the 60 uh, seconds, so. Go ahead, Salome. No, I canceled him. I, I don't, yeah. From the time he said that nonsense about Kirby. Salome, I can't hear you clearly. I don't know if it's because you're leaning on your microphone, but we can't hear you clearly. Wow. Can you hear me better now? Yes. Okay. No, I was just responding to what Candace said, and I was just like, well, I've been canceled, Candace. And it's, it's, the funny thing is my son loves him, and so we have those back and forth. But when he said the latest stuff about Harriet Tubman, not free anybody, I was just like, he's either um, on something or he doesn't know his history. So, and either way, I don't even want to touch that. So, yeah. yeah. But Candace, we can definitely talk about yeah, it. I'm willing to dissect it. And I think that that's what you were saying, Gray, um, not Grace. Um, Ebony, is, is that perhaps I give him too much grace? That's not what I was going. That's not where I was going. Don't even give me that look. Um, that <laughs> I see I how you edit in there. Okay, I, I see what you was doing. All right, we good. We good now. <laughs> but I'm, but the the difference is I'm willing to dissect it. If it was other people who said that, of course, I think I'd be like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? But I think because I have this connection, I'm like, let's let's think about this contextually. Let's think about what bipolar really means. Like you know, all these different things. So I I. I have often said, I've been that lone soldier who has kind of said like, I, but I want to talk about this some more instead of just canceling him completely. Yeah. Did Tice or Alfonso want to, I saw y'all lean in. No, you don't want to add? All right. So, Alfonso. Um, you talked last time about what you were taught as a Jamaican immigrant um, or, or growing up in a Jamaican enclave, right? So my question to you is, um, how do you show up with your Jamaican side, um, particularly those who kind of try to distance themselves from Blackness? 60 seconds. Let's do it. Okay, so first of all, I think um, I've been reconciling with this idea around uh, superiority complex, right? And I think what's been important for me is to show up not only authentically as a Caribbean person, as a Jamaican, but also authentically as a Black man. And I think for me personally, um, I see I see them as one and the same in a sense, meaning that like the, 
the Black Lives Matter movement is a part of my movement because I, I am an American, right? I'm, I'm an Afro-Caribbean who's also an American citizen. So even though I may be Afro-Caribbean, when a police officer pulls me over, he's not checking my ID to see where I'm from <laughs> to see if I'm not an African-American because they're targeting African-Americans. No, they're targeting Black people. So I think it's, it's, it's a part of my struggle. It's a part of my experience. It's a part of my challenge. And when I go into a room or, not, or, I, or I take up space in a room, these, uh, these white people ain't like, oh, well, actually they are. They're like, well, he's different because he's Afro-Caribbean. But I think it's also partly my responsibility to not only um, check them on that uh, and have a conversation about it, but also make sure that we're not um, stigmatizing folks. And I know a lot of us are uh, often occupying white spaces where we have to where we feel like we have to present or be a certain way because this being or presenting that certain way is professional. When it, at its core, it's white supremacy. It's white supremacy at its core. Facts. Facts. All right. Anybody want to add before I move on to Triana? Actually, I do want to add. Um, Go ahead. Just um, being Afro-Latina, I'm thinking about, again, like the youth, the young people that I've worked with, when um, I switched to speaking Spanish because someone enters the building who doesn't speak English, and so I, you know, I answer the questions, help them out, um, and they're like, "Oh, Miss Miss Triana, I didn't know you were Spanish. I thought you were black." <laughs> I was like, first of all, I speak Spanish. I'm not from Spain, um, but you, you, you can see me, right? Like you, you can see that black. Like, you a whole language like, girl. Okay. Are you okay? <laughs> right. And um, I'm like, so I speak Spanish, but like I'm a black Latina. And they're like, oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like I just I I just I know, like I just thought and I just been sitting here thinking like, I mean I can understand maybe you didn't know my ethnicity. I know over the years I've lost my Spanish accent, it's not as strong as it was before. But I'm black. Like don't confuse that. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, okay, I get you. <laughs> Yes. And I'm going to stay with you, Triana. So don't unmute. Um, okay. I don't mute. So there are people, 60 seconds. There mm. are Black people who get mad because a lot of uh, Afro-Latinos or Afro-Latinx people don't want to mm. consider themselves Black. But then mm. there are a lot of Latinx people who get mad at Black people for not fighting in regards to this immigration issue. So what is your response to that? You said a lot of black people are getting mad about Latinos not talking about the immigration issue? No, so there are black people who get mad at Latinos for denying their blackness. Right. And then there are Latinos who get mad at black people for not fighting in regards to issues of uh, immigration. Oh, that, that yes. You know, that are very, that resonate, you know, very much so during this time. So right. what do you say right. to those two things? How, how would you respond? That that both are important and we can't utilize that to like keep ourselves divided. Um, and I think that the narrative that we hear in the news and the media is to make sure that we stay divided on that. Um, but I think that that both matter and we're able to come to the same point of um, banding together to support both causes. Uh, that would be better for all of us. Okay, I think Saloon wanted to add something to that. 
Yeah, no, it's funny because I was thinking about this very topic this afternoon. And I think um, a lot of times, you know, black people in America, and when I say black in America, I mean African-Americans specifically, tend to think of immigration issues as the Latino issues, right? A lot of times the, the face that you they give to when you're talking about illegal immigrants or all of that stuff is Latino people. And oftentimes people, um, I find that African-Americans disassociate themselves from that. And so forgetting that a bulk of immigrants are also Black people, a lot of them, you know, when we're talking about the immigration issues and stuff, it impacts a lot of Black people, whether it's Black people from Africa or the Caribbean, we have those issues too. And so it would be very good and helpful for, for African-Americans to, to, to support us and speak to that. And I think I love Obama, but one of my biggest disappointments um, with him was this whole immigration issue and what I feel that he fell short of the whole dreamers and all of the things that he did and the mess that they're in today. I think he contributed to that. And I know people are going to come for me for this, but that's okay. Um, I feel strongly about that. And I think part of that reason is because a lot of African-Americans do not feel as connected to this immigration issue because they tend to think of it as being a Latino or Latin America um, issue and that it's not really affecting Black people. But it is affecting Black people. Lots of Black people from the motherland, from the Caribbean, and, and even from Latin America. So, I mean, that's a, a very tender spot for me. So I just wanted to add that. And also, listeners, you don't have to come for her too hard because she is wearing a Barack Obama shirt. So... You know, yes, she, she is standing for him. I'm going to save Tice, Dr. Tice for last. So, Saloom, um, Black Lives Matter. What are your thoughts about the movement, particularly in 2020? Oh, man. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives has always ma have always mattered and will continue to matter. I think it's great. Um, I have you know, some of the things that I have about this is also just the gender piece and, you know, it's completely not what we're talking about, but this whole idea that, yeah, we've been talking about Black Lives Matter, but it's been centering on Black men, right? And and, and when we think about it, the, the women or the people who were the promoters of Black Lives Matter or the creators of Black Lives Matter, the movement were Black women, but yet somehow Black women's issues have become sort of peripheral to the idea of, you know, of, of this whole movement. And so, yes, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives have always mattered, Black Lives will continue to matter, but we need to also elevate Black women's lives and make it matter as well. So that's my two cents. And that's arrest why I said- Breonna Taylor's um, murderers, thank you. Yes, please arrest yes. the murderers of Breonna yes. Taylor. Yes, exactly. And that's why I'm saving Dr. Tice for last, because my 60 second rapid fire question for you, Dr. Tice is, you know, a lot of Black women often feel the least supported oftentimes from Black men. And so what is your response to that, your take on that, your stance? And, and what's interesting is, is that I think my stance here is actually going to be a bit of a reply that I had when you were asking about the immigration, uh, about Black folk or American Black folk and immigration issues and not standing there. I think people have a problem with viewing these issues that are trying to by um, trying justice and social justice and equity as individual identity problems. And until we realize that when you are fighting for gender equity, racial equity, all these things, these are all the same problem. And if we don't view them as a as a as combating power, privilege, discrimination, oppression, if, until we view it as combating the entire thing 
we're not doing it right. And that's why I think when we talk about, you know, you, you, you posed the example earlier about this separation between African-Americans and whether they fight for the immigration issues, that there's this dissonance there, that there's a disconnect, that they don't think it's the same issue. The issue is white supremacy. That's the issue. And the same thing goes what you're talking about right now is about women. Like we are separating these issues and we need to stop separating them. They are the same problem. They are rooted. And I'm not saying they affect people the same way, but they are rooted in the same system. They're rooted in a system that only advantages certain folks. That's the same system. So I, I, we, we ha I think we have to shift the way that we understand the problem. And that's when we'll hopefully, where all of these things will come together and we'll realize that when you're fighting for one, you're fighting for all of them. And that means you should show up to fight for all of them. And I'm gonna push you some more though, right? Because I feel like that was a real great, you know, political response and you dropped the knowledge and everything, but more specifically, right? Saloon is writing in the chat, more specifically, and I'll even make it personal, there has been many instances where black men have let me down, where black men have let black women down, right? Like when I'm walking down the street and somebody may say something to me, or, you know, Triana talks about this oftentimes, if you, if a guy be like, hey, shorty, hey, cutie, whatever, and you're like, no, thank you, you know, and they'd be like, you fat, ugly bitch, and it'd be a bunch of men around, and they don't say anything, right? Or, you know, you go into, you're in a meeting, and it's you and maybe another black man, and, and someone say something real off hand to you, and a black man doesn't have your back, right? Um, or, or black men saying things like they don't date black women, you know, all, all of these things, or how black women will fight, will, will, will kill themselves to support black men and don't get that reciprocity, right? Like in this, like in these Black Lives Matter movements, right? Or, you know, Triana, and I don't wanna, you know, say too much about her, but she had a very specific incident that happened to her at a club or a bar, whatever it was, and no one did anything to protect I literally, I was about, I was about to talk about that. Oh, yeah. go ahead. I, so someone uh, wanted to dance with me and I politely said, no, it's, no, thank you, whatever. And then he proceeded to um, yoke me up and choke me and pin me up against the bar in front of everyone in the room. And I had to push him off of me. And my girlfriends that were there with me were just frozen in shock. Um, and he had some friends there with him. And I apologize, they did nothing. And so I was obviously upset and we were like, maybe we should go. And when I went to leave, he again had reached out and grabbed my wrist. So I pulled me back. And again, at that point, I was just like, oh, can we fight here? Like, <laughs> we just go fight. Um, because no one was coming to support me, to check him, to explore him out, nothing. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought about when you were talking, Ebony. Right, what you say to that? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's no excusing that. It's a damn shame, and folks need to come correct. And, and I... I while this may not be sufficient, I am tempted to go old school and quote Tupac right now, if that's okay. Because I do, um, at least if I can do this right. Hold on, Ebony, you might have to help me out. I'm, gonna do, I'm going from memory here, so hold on. Because we got our name from a woman and our game from a woman. Mm -hmm. I want we take from our women. Why do we rape our women? Do we hate our women? Our women. 
I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real for our women. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's where I stand. That's the best I can say. Yeah. I see knowing, man. Yeah, Candy, you're about to say something. And I saw a lot of facial reactions when Shriana was telling her story, but this is real life. This happens. I, I think we tend to because I I, I I I'm just saying this because like is that person who who did what they did to Triana, which was fucked up. And if I was there, we would have been fighting, right? Because, you know, especially if Ebony was there, like, you, you know, we, we get liquor in us, we ready to fight, okay? Fuck a PhD, we ready to fight. So um, I just feel like, is that, is that man willing to, to, to hear and to listen to what you have to say? Because I do believe that there are some men who are, you know, willing to kind of hear what you're saying, Tyus, but then there are gonna be men like what, who did what they did to Triana, who's gonna be like, man, fuck that shit, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, but it, but it's not being complicit in it. Right. Like he definitely, I realized the second time he was intoxicated, possibly high. And there was a recent, um, clip out there on social media of boot, marriage boot camp where the one guy put his hands on Tahiri or whatever in front of everybody. Oh my God, I saw and that. none of the men got up. They looked like they were struggling. What's happening right now? He's yoking her up. But they didn't get up. Nobody moved except for the host had to come around the camera guy to get this man off of her. So yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother discussion. That's what I'm saying. I, it is, but I'm saying, but that's and that's why I wanted to save that, that for last because that's not a question that me as a woman can answer, right? That's a question that my, that black men are going to have to answer for themselves and do something. You about to say something, Fonzie? I was. Um, you know, I, I'm first of all, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Triana. Like. You know, thank the, you. I know y'all saw my head whip 90 degrees, bitch. <laughs> but you know, I immediately thought of, um, and I always say, I've probably said this to several of you ladies on, a, on an individual level that black men are have been essentially the weakest link in a lot of like the equity movements. And I kind of sometimes credited to like the civil rights movements where, you know, black people as a whole were putting the black men, pushing the black men forward. And, you know, if you're if you're subscribing to a religious identity, you know, Christians in general, there's like this hierarchy in this gender hierarchy within the black community. So there's like this this pedestal that black men are put on or concessions that are made for black men because you know, and I'm immediately thinking of, like, you know, um, sexual abuse or abuse within the, the Black family. You know, there's, there's all these different ways in which we protect Black men because we recognize, like, how systemic racism works and we want to make sure that they don't end up in jail because they'll be so mistreated by the white man that it's, to some extent, it sometimes we take away, like, the responsibility of a Black man to be a decent human being. And it's, and it's not fair and it doesn't sit well with me, right? And, you know, as a black man, I'm like open to having this conversation. I'm hope, open to receiving this feedback um, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not better than heterosexual black men by any means, right? But I think the challenge in um, a situation like that, I think of like, you know, how do we like forward this conversation of holding black heterosexual men accountable for their actions? Right, um, it, it's 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 sad and it's tough and it's challenging. And you know, as a core black man, I think of in that situation, what would I have done differently? 
I mean, I would have stepped up, but I also would have been fearing for my life. <laughs> Not because I can't fight or anything, because I, you know, Dr. Fonz gets crazy. Let's go. <laughs> but, you know, the challenge is, you know, when, when, when you're dealing with um, this, I had this vision of this heterosexual black man that Triana described, right? When you're dealing with that, there's like a lot of isms that are internalized. There, there's the patriarchy, there's the homophobia, there's all these things that Triana and I would both be fighting against to get him a ball for her. Lots of thoughts. Yeah. Well, listen, that is, I think that I'm so glad this came up towards the end and, and hopefully some of you, if not all of you can join me because that is going to be one of my podcast topics. And I do think it deserves, you know, it, it, its own show, but I think it's so important and, and it just definitely resonates as a conversation to have. I just want to say thank you, Saloon. Thank you, Dr. Alfonso, Dr. Tice, Dr. Crawford, Triana, or future doctors Triana and Saloon for joining me for these two episodes, part one and part two. I love you so much. You matter to me. Your life matters. You're more than enough. You're more than important. Um, and thank you to my listeners for tuning in. Remember to mind your mental health and follow me on Instagram at I am Ed the Celeb. Everybody unmute and say bye to the people. Bye, y'all. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I love you all. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Whew, that was such a needed and deep conversation. I'm so glad you joined us on this journey. Please leave any comments or feedback for me or any questions you have for me to answer on the next episode. Please remember, again, to mind your mental health because, yes, it is that important.